the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to Season 2 of The Instructor and thanks for joining us. If you are listening for the first time, make sure you go back to Season 1 and go back over the episodes there. There's some great shows already in the bank. If you're already a listener, if you've listened previously, welcome back. So this is Season 2 and what's different? Well, there's some subtle changes. In Season 1, what I was doing was looking at... um, I picked specific categories, specific things that I wanted to talk about and then chose someone to come and speak about those things. In season two, that's changing slightly in that I'm choosing the person now rather than a category. And I'm picking the brains of a wide variety of people to see what we can take away and apply to the industry, apply to our businesses, apply to ourselves. So it's very similar, but we've swapped from category to person. Now, I'm not going to take up too much of your time right now because we've got a brilliant guest lined up today. Uh, San Harp has joined us to talk about mindfulness and how it's changed her life, how it's changed the life of her instructors, and how it's changed the life of her students as well. But before I get into that, I'm just going to drop another couple of details for you. There are some other changes within the show. Um, Chris Benson of the DITC will now not be joining us weekly, but he'll be joining us maybe twice a month to provide the news features like he did last time, but at more of a discussion base rather than just Chris giving his opinions. Um, in between those times when Chris will be on, we'll be joined by someone else, a different person every time, bringing their own thoughts and their own opinions. As for today's show, there won't be a news feature because we recorded an extra long one that will be coming out as a special bonus episode through the week, so make sure you check that out. Um, when that drops, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, we'll see how that goes. We've also got some very exciting news lined up, which if you hang about to the end of the show, you get to hear about those new features as well. As always, if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe or follow and give it a share as well. But for now, let's get stuck into this interview with San Harper. And again, welcome back and thanks for joining me again. So, welcome to the Instructor Podcast, and I am joined today by the ever-mindful and ever-delightful San Harper. And just before I say hello to San, because she's listening, I'm going to say that I've been doing quite a few of these episodes now, and San is definitely one of the most, I'm going to say, friendly and helpful and pleasant people I've had come on the show. That's not on anyone else. That's just saying this now to, to San as she joins me. So, so welcome, San, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll pay, you, pay you later for that then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's true. We've, um, we've, we've not really had an awful lot to do with each other. And we've, we've kind of, um, I don't know, kind of stumbled across each other, if you like. And it's just been very, very pleasant exchange. And, and, um, and that's, I wouldn't say rare, but I think that it's, it's nice to meet someone that just seems to be pleasant all the time, which is... Oh. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, um, that's the only nice thing is getting out of me today. <laughs> I was going to say likewise, Terry. Likewise. <laughs> All right. How are you anyway? How? Because as we're recording this, we're in the middle of a heat wave. How are you finding the heat wave? I'm, I'm hot. Um, but other than that, it's it's all good. It's actually been quite nice being in the car. I've, I've had a lesson this evening. I don't normally work as late as this. Um, but Ty went swimming today. So because it was so hot and I got invited by... Well, not I. I did the inviting actually. Another driving instructor. I felt, I felt almost felt like bunking off school, but no, it was it was all good. We managed to shuffle people around, and I think some of them were actually quite glad of the um, the time change. So um, 
yeah so but i'm hotter now obviously being out of the air conditioning other than that yeah i sometimes go out to the car to cool down um and yes there was a day recently when i texted all my students said if anyone wants a day off today feel free and everyone replied yes yeah, yeah. which is one of the benefits of our job speaking of our job uh it's a nice little segue um i want to start this off just by asking you to tell us uh as much or as little as you like about you about your background and uh, and the big thing I've got you to talk on about today mainly is, is your mindfulness. Um, so a bit about you, your background, and how you're introduced into mindfulness. Yeah, sure. So um, I have been an ADI for 18 years. I, c- I can never quite believe it when I say that. It's just, I don't know where the time's gone. Um, and throughout that time, I've done various things. I've, I've done a bit of um, speed, I've delivered some speed awareness courses. I have um I've done a bit of taxi assessment so I've kind of gone off and done a few you know a bit of fleet work and and other bits and pieces um and then I um how much information Uh, I don't don't want to make this into sort of too long a story but um what actually happened was I went traveling with my old school friend we went backpacking for three months when I was 31 and we came back she actually got deported but that's a whole nother story we got she got she was an overstayer in America and she ended up coming back to the UK and she ended up living with me for a bit and um and I was like oh what am I going to do I don't want to go back to work in an office um and she said she saw the advert and said become a driver you know for become, become a driving instructor because I taught her to drive the camper van that we'd hired and that was fun and games because she's only used to driving automatic. So that's kind of how that kind of came about. Fast forward X amount of years later, I started to have a little bit of, um, I guess the best way to put it is a bit of anxiety, not for any particular reason. You know what it's like, life happens and, you know, there's been a few events in my life and what have you. Um, and I found myself getting a little bit of anxiety, almost felt like somebody was reaching into my chest and kind of grabbing and pulling tight you know um a little bit at the time and I just kind of was looking for answers um ways just to kind of help to manage that and I came across mindfulness um and which I the only way I can describe it is it, it was it changed my life really it really it had such a big impact on me to the point that I then decided I wanted to become a mindfulness teacher so I went to Mindfulness UK and I did the course called um, the IMC, which is actually integrating mindfulness and compassion in professional practice, which made it was a perfect fit, obviously, for being a driver trainer, doing a course that enabled me to integrate that, integrate the mindfulness and compassion into my work, which I then began to do with great effect. And it was this was why this went on for a while. It was like, God, it must have been a good. I can't even remember time losing track with COVID, but it was a while. It was going on for a while. And I remember getting to the point thinking, God, I really need to share this. Like I didn't really, I couldn't really, um, I didn't really come across anybody else that was doing it. Um, I didn't know any of the other instructors that were practicing mindfulness. And I just thought I really need to, I need to share this stuff. This is, yeah, this is pretty, um, pretty special not just for me, but for how it was really helping my pupils and how much they appreciated it. So then I um, I did some more training. And the long and the short of it is I've now made the course. I've put the course together. My, um, 
mindfulness and compassion for driving rider trainers and we're on our, our second course is starting next week and it's been it's I I couldn't have asked for it to go on any better actually than it has um just uh, just amazing feedback um yeah so that's kind of a bit of a sort of um yeah not a very straightforward story but you know <laughs> well there's a lot to pick up there um but I'm gonna go straight in with a the big broad question because there'll be a lot of people listening that 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 don't know uh, or maybe haven't heard of and, and or hear mindfulness and just associate that with witchcraft. Um, so the big broad question: What is mindfulness? It's funny. It is the way that it's actually defined by John Kabat-Zinn. He's the chap that really brought mindfulness to the West um back in 1979 I think it was um and he says that mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way on purpose and non-judgmentally and he also says as if your life depends on it because it does this is what he says um the the best way for me to describe it is it's it's a way of being with the world actually it's 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 to do with your attitude pretty much to everything the way that you approach life the way that you see the world the way that you interact with with the people in your life uh, people in general and also your relationship with yourself um yeah it, it is really just a way of being and for me once that I'd, I'd kind of gone down that pathway I, I can't imagine life being any different now I can't imagine not having this in my life yeah yeah and I know that with mindfulness because I've you know uh I've d- dabbled in it you know I've not taken any big courses but I've worked with some people that um uh, deal with mindfulness so, uh, I've got apps that I've used before I think calm and headspace that I've used and I've started reading some books on it um and it's helped me but I'll come back to that further down the line but I think the question I want to ask around that is because you kind of describe what it is, but what does it physically entail? Because I know there's lots of things that it encompasses and a lot of it is more mental than physical, but what, what do you have to do to be mindful? Well, it's interesting what you just said about the apps, which have, really have their place. And they, I mean, I use um, Insight Timer for meditation and it's great. You know, if, if people can get into it via an app, that's wonderful. However, the difference, I think, is when you do a course such as the MBSR, which is the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction, or a course like the one I'm delivering, which is a six-week-long course, you also have on in those courses something called inquiry. And what inquiry is, it's the teacher kind of just helping you to unpack your experience a little bit more. So with, with regards to the classes and how that works is there's there's meditation, that's part of it. We also explore lots of other things. We, we look at the neuroscience. There's actually a lot of this, well, there's an awful lot of scientific evidence now to support all this work. Um, and the fact that it does actually change the brain, it changes the neural pathways in the brain. Um, so we learn about, there's, there's so much that we, we can learn about, um, about how it works and why it works and why meditation is helpful. But it's the unpacking of what our experience is I think as a mindfulness teacher, the, the the way that we're the the way that we're taught to, it's not about it anything being right or wrong. You're almost like walking along this journey of self-discovery with this person, the, the people on your course, you're walk, walking alongside them. 
uh, and it's about their experience. They're they're discovering about themselves. They're, they're, it's almost like falling awake. Somebody used that experience recently. It's falling awake and waking up to the reality of your life. And actually, this is why for some people it can be quite challenging because you know what it's like, Terry. We spend a lot of our lives trying to run away from, to numb, to avoid, bury our head in the sands. We don't like discomfort. We don't like the difficulties that often we're faced with in our lives, which everybody has. And mindfulness is an invitation to turn towards difficulty. It's it's looking at things with curiosity rather than trying to push away and fight against things. We we change the way we look at things to to bring more of a sense of um, yeah curiosity and non judgment. There's nine attitudes in mindfulness, um, and it can be really challenging for a lot of people to start with because it can be uncomfortable. And you do hear stories of people completely changing their lives after having done a mindfulness course with regards to their career or their relationships because they just they start they start to look at things they start to look at their lives maybe um in this from a slightly different perspective um and that can be very transformational yeah and that explain it probably not really (laughs) no it did because there was a really interesting parallel that i was drawing as you was talking there in in one of the big things I'm working on personally at the minute is coaching and I'm trying to be a better coach and I'm getting better. Um, and the big thing that I'm working on in coaching is be non-judgmental and it being a non-judgmental environment. So were you referring to being mindfulness as being non-judgmental? That that really resonated with me because I'm, I'm thinking that when a student, I'm going to use the, the wrong term for coaching here, but when a student makes a mistake, I'm trying not to call it a mistake. I'm trying not to say right or wrong. I'm trying to just ask them how it will felt and what they do differently. So I'm not putting a judgment on it. But yeah, I would be really quick to judge myself or to judge the situation I'm in. And I'm trying to be non-judgmental with myself more as well, although that seems to be an awful lot harder than, <laughs> than being non-judgmental with a student. So we that phrase there, non-judgmental, just really clicked with me. So I think anyone listening that hears that is, is going to find that 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 resonates as well. And and you mentioned the apps, and I'm just going to kind of briefly outline where I am w- w- on, on my venture now. And just for clarity, I've, I've never worked with you. Um, I intend to, but as of yet, I never have. So um, I started off just with the, uh, the car map. And I think that that's a good way, and this is just my opinion, but I think that's a good way for anyone to start as an introduction uh, and then go from there. So I've now just stopped using those apps and I just do my own thing. And my thing generally, I will meditate daily. Usually Um, I fell off the wagon a little bit recently, but I'm back on now, but I'll meditate daily. What I would call like a proper meditation. It might just be 10 or 15 minutes, sometimes a bit longer. I'm trying to get longer, but working towards it. But the other thing I do that really helps me is between lessons, I'll do one of two things. I'll either just have a, a two-minute meditation in the car. I'll put like a timer on my watch or my phone or something. I just have a two-minute meditation. Or I'll get outside if I've got time and I'll just stand outside and, and just feel the breeze, essentially, uh, just for five or ten minutes. Just It's not like a prof meditation, but it's just calm, it's relaxing, and it's feeling that come over you. I'm genuinely enjoying my lessons more in as a direct correlation of that and feeling less stress between lessons and the times when I don't do that either because I've forgotten 
or because I'm rushing from one to the other because I've not allocated enough time, I never have as much of a successful lesson the, the following lesson. So it's it's definitely made an impact on me. So I, I would ask you now what you mentioned before about the feedback you've got from some of the, the other instructors you've worked with. What is some of the feedback you've got? What are some of the changes you've seen in other people? Well, I mean, there's been so many. It just, I mean, I shouldn't say it astounds me because it doesn't astound me because this is what I, my experience, but when you hear it coming out of the mouths of other people, you know, it, I'm kind of, wow, you know. Um, there's been two people who have had significant um, shifts with around their pain. So I've got one chap who's had severe uh, pain through having an accident many years ago and another condition. Um, and his the way that is for him now is completely different. It's He's not suffering like he was. And then somebody on Tuesday said that they were on painkillers for the last 15 years and now they're not taking them. It's, it's just, it's like, my God, you know, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, you know, with things like that. Um, people telling me that the way that they are on their lessons now, like you just said, taking time out um, just to kind of, and that's an act of self-compassion, just taking time out, you know, be it just a couple of minutes to give that time to yourself because then you're filling up your cup, aren't you? You're, you're filling up your resource cup because then you, and then you've got more to give. If you're completely spent and depleted because you're giving and giving and giving, and those last lessons of the day are going to suffer, aren't they? So it's kind of you're given to yourself in order to give to give more. And it's really funny because a lot of people think of self-compassion as being a bit fluffy and a bit maybe even selfish. But it's completely the opposite. It's actually filling your topping yourself up so you've got more to give, actually. Um, I mean, we've had people exactly the same as what you've just said, Terry, people who have been really hard on themselves been quite emotional actually you know it's for some people have it just having this different perspective and maybe um relating to themselves in a way that they maybe have never ever done before in their entire life um the, the, this particular course it we start off with the science and you know the, the science based the information and the the facts um i find all that kind of pretty interesting actually learning about the brain and the neuroscience and then steadily as the course goes on, we start to explore different aspects of mindfulness, um, different elements. And then this journey through the six weeks, we finally end up in the session of self-compassion. And this is when things really start to come together because mindfulness is all well and good being aware of what your experience is and what's happening for you. But then what? If that's not a good experience, well, what do I do now? And that's when we need the compassion. So we, we become aware of what's happening, turning towards difficulty, turning towards the skid, we call it. It's kind of that for driving, driving instructors. <laughs> turning towards the skid. Um, and then the compassion is where we learn tools and techniques to actually give ourselves um, what we need, which then helps to promote things like, you know, on a biochemic, biochemical level, things like oxytocin and dopamine. We, we can bring that to ourselves. There's ways we can give that to ourselves. So those feel good. When, when a mate kind of puts his arm around you and says, oh, it's all right, it's all right, mate, it'd be all right. We can give that to ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think I sleep. 
I think I slightly disagree with one thing you've said there, which is uh, you mentioned about self-compassion not being selfish. I think it is selfish, but I don't think selfish is a bad thing. I think there's that negative connotation around the word selfish, and I I really don't think it is. I think we need, as people, largely, we need to be more selfish. And I think that's, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what you're talking about, is looking after yourself. It is looking after yourself. I think the word selfish maybe is the thing here, isn't it? It's. Um, I think when I think of the word selfish, it means to me, potentially to the detriment of others. That's how I perceive the word selfish, to the detriment of another, maybe. Um, but I think this this self-supporting, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's basically you know, giving yourself sustenance, you're, you're sustaining yourself and you're, like I said, that analogy of filling up your cup, another one, another really common analogy is to imagine fixing your own oxygen mask, you know, when you get on the plane, you can't attend to the person next to you unless you fix your own oxygen mask first and, it, and it's that you've got to support and sustain yourself um, in order to give to others and um, and I think it might seem to some people to be selfish on the face of it because it, you're attending to yourself, aren't you? You're, ten, you're attending to your own needs. And attending to your own needs of some people feels difficult and it feels selfish. But then when you look at the bigger picture, by attending to your own needs, you're then, you've got more, you're more resourced, aren't you? You're more resilient, more able to then give. Definitely. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with what you just said. I think that as... As we're people, as people, we don't look after ourselves enough. And you mentioned the the analogy of using your face mask on a plane. I think that we can look after others better if we look after ourselves. And I always look at the students that way. You know, if I if I go and do sixty hours a week, well, when I get to sort of hour thirty five above, those students are getting as good a lesson as the the ones previous. So it's it's balancing it off and yes sometimes there are times you have to put yourself out there are times you have to work a bit harder and you have to put others first but there's a hell of a lot of times we shouldn't there's a hell of a lot of times we should be looking after ourselves so I mean I suppose this is slightly away from what you're meaning but what what would you suggest in terms of of looking after yourself well but exactly what you just said Terry it's about noticing when you're feeling depleted and this is the thing we're you know in life we can feel like we're on that treadmill you know that sort of uh, hamster wheel and we go 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 and it's almost like if I stop I'll never get up again and we we keep going and we keep going and we keep pushing um but I think it's it's just taking t- taking the time to really check in with yourself and actually and this is what we cover on the course is that how how to do that because it if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it, wouldn't we? Yeah. But we all live on autopilot a lot of the time. And, it, and it's not it's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. So they don't notice that they're actually struggling or they're suffering um, from overwork or, or stress until they come home from work and they bite the head off their partner and they're grumpy with their kids and they open another bottle of wine Um do you know what I mean it's it's people kind of get into these patterns and it's it's about um it's almost like it's like putting a plaster over the over the same scab you know we keep we keep putting that plaster over the scab but over the injury rather than actually preventing the injury from happening in the first place and self-compassion is is learning ways to to not get to that point yeah um that makes total sense. I think that the way I look at that is when you think of a student who keeps stalling at a junction 
and you rather than work on the stall or work on the clutch control, you work on the junction. You still got the same original problem that you're not fixing. Like you said, you're just putting a, a plaster over it. And one of the things that that I've done is took a while just to really analyze my diary. And this wasn't like 20 minutes looking at it. This was over a process of weeks. I should have done it over lockdown, to be fair. But this was a, a process of weeks where I've just looked at where I'm working, looked at when I'm getting tired, looked at when my lessons aren't as good as they should be, looked at what days I would want off and just spent weeks analysing this. And I'm just formulating now a, a real structure of where I want to work. And, and it's interesting because I've got some stick online before because I quite enjoy working weekends and having weekdays off. That suits my personal life. I quite like doing a couple of evenings a week because, again, suits my personal life without going into boring people the reason why but it, having that structure suits me and I think that's what people need to do more look at what I think you touched on this look at what works for them yeah. rather than what works for everyone else you know what that what you just said that is self-compassion in action that's that's exactly it you know it is very practical in, in many ways and you know what as well people that that some of the most self-compassion some of the most compassionate people in the world are also the most boundaried. And what I mean by that is they're people who do exactly what you've just done, who work out, this is this is okay for me, this isn't okay. They're very, very clear about those boundaries and then they don't get resentful because a lot of the time people don't set boundaries. They take on maybe more work than they is maybe good for them and then they get really, really resentful. And that that's no good for anybody either. So it's like you just said, it, it's kind of, is stepping back a little bit, seeing the big picture, working out what's okay and what's not okay. What am I prepared to do? What am I not prepared to do? Even with regards to payment, you know, what's okay for me? Is it, you know, the night before? Is it got to be on the day? Or when, when are my cancellations? When's that, when's that okay for me? And looking at that so that it's crystal clear. And then you don't end up um, giving in or allowing or you know fixing things for them making their life easier and then getting really resentful about it yeah and the, the payment thing there is 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 a big one i think because that it's like we forget sometimes that we're self-employed and it's our business and as instructors we we kind of we see all these other instructors, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever, or whether it's in the, the test and the waiting rooms that, that come in and tell us, this is how you should do it. This is how you should do it. Well, it's what works for you, not what everyone else says. And I think that parent thing is the key. I mean, how many people do you see say, you should have a 48-hour cancellation policy? Well, yeah, I think business-wise, I suppose that does make sense, but that's not suitable for everyone. And... And you're not wrong if you don't have a 48-hour cancellation policy, as long as you accept the consequences of that. And I think that's the, the big thing. Very clear, isn't it? It's been very clear about it. And it's difficult to find the right language. It's difficult to find the right words. And, you know, we don't want to upset people. But I think as long as you're just really authentic and honest and just say, listen, you know, that just doesn't work for me. Um, can we talk about maybe a different solution or whatever? I just think it's about just being having clarity in, in your own mind and then being able to actually convey that really around yeah. a lot of things. And that, yeah, compassion. And 
that's a compassionate act as well, isn't it? But also this thing about um, finding a way, and we cover this on the course, where you tap into something called your mammalian caregiving trait. So what that means is as human beings, we're predisposed to care for our young. We want to care for our young, our, you know, our babies, so that we so we survive. Humanity survives. It's, it's ingrained into us. That's what we do. Um, but we have those ways, as tools and techniques, and you can tap into that mammalian caregiving trait, trait for yourself. Um, and like I said, it affects you on a biochemical level. You're, you're actually altering the chemicals that course through you, or through through your brain. Um, to give yourself comfort, basically. Which, as adults, we don't we don't do. No, no. And again, it's it's something that I was massively guilty of. Still, am now getting better, but it's that. Um, I know it's just giving, like you said, giving yourself permission to actually just be nice to yourself. Sometimes, yeah. um, you also work with mindfulness with your students, don't you? Not just the the instructor courses, you actually do that with your own students. And you use a practice called, uh, I think you call it grounding practice at the start of every lesson. So we'll come back to what that is in a second. But just for anyone listening, before this, uh, before we started recording, uh, San actually uh, provided a guiding, guiding grounding practice for me. Uh, and we recorded this, so I'm actually going to put that onto the end of this episode so you can go back and listen to that and practice that yourselves. Don't do it while you're driving. If you listen to this in the car, please do not do the grounding practice whilst you're driving. However, it will be there for you. But do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? So a little bit about how your students have found it, a little bit about the grounding practice and and and, yeah. and that side of it? Yeah. I mean, as everybody can probably relate, you know, often you'll get people getting in the car and their head is full of the day's events. Um, and they, so one, one lady I know used a really good analogy for it. She said, I feel like I haven't got any ballast in my boat. <laughs> like she felt all up in her head, you know, scattered, scattered thoughts. You don't feel centered and grounded. You feel you're a bit all over the place. You can't focus. Um, and I, you know, I, I can feel like that a lot myself, but I'm aware of it now. But this grounding practice is just, it's like another, I love my analogies, Terry, you made me <laughs> <laughs> Another one of those analogies is, imagine that you have two suitcases. One is labelled the past, and one is labelled the future, and you can set them both down. So that's what we do on our lessons. We set it all down and we just come into the present moment. So I invite them just to just to settle. And it's always an invitation. It's not something like we will do this. It's always, would you like? This is this is something I find really useful for me. Would you like me to share it with you? They they've all said yes. They all love it to the point that if for any reason I forget because I'm in a bit of a hurry or I've got other things going on in my own mind, they all remind me. They all say, Oh, we haven't done the practice. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I needed that because it's usually when I need it the most that you know that, that I forget and they remind me. Um, and you can literally feel the energy in the car literally just come down, you know. And then I might even do it, I might invite them to do it again if, if there's been a bit of a stressful moment and they're feeling a bit um, you know, perhaps the lesson's been a bit hard for whatever reason, or we're finding something a bit difficult, I'll say, would you like to pull over and just do a practice again? Only last two minutes. Um, and even one lad who I had, who was not the sort of lad that you would really associate with mindfulness, you know, he wasn't really his 
bag necessarily. Though he's had a few interesting conversations about it. He did do the grounding practice at the start, but I could tell it, he wasn't quite so into it. However, the morning, of it, the morning of his test, my goodness, he was so glad of it. We, I, because he was so nervous, and I said, yeah. "No, we can do a practice if you'd like to." Oh yeah, yes, yeah. so we did it, and he thanked me and said how much better he felt. And then we passed, and when he came back, he said, "I was telling my, I was telling the examiner all about it, and he <laughs> reminded me, it reminded me to, to, you know, to sort of stay with the breath and just try and be present, and it really helped." So. um yeah, it's it's a really good just to help them to focus and just kind of come in, come out of that busy, um, you know, flow of thoughts that might be elsewhere. See, I think that's really an interesting point because, like you said, that lad he's not necessarily got a massive benefit from every lesson, but it's a tool in his toolbox. Yeah. So when he's come to actually need it, he's been able to use it, and I think this is one of the things that. Um, probably more than instructors, but as instructors, we're guilty of, you know, if it doesn't work instantly, we will discard it. That didn't work. I tried it once. It don't work. We're not, you know, I mentioned coaching before. I once asked a student what they want to do this lesson. They said motorways and it was the first lesson. The coaching don't work, you know, and it, I think that we're quick to do that, but I think your perseverance there, maybe that's not the right word, but your, uh, his perseverance in wanting to keep going with it, then allowed him to do his test. Now, Again, you know, we'll never know whether you would have passed his test without it or not, but it certainly helped. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a, a real kind of key point there. And I think the other thing I wanted to ask on is, so it, it, can, it will largely work on lessons, it will largely work on tests, but how do you find it helps students beyond that? And has it, in, in the sense yeah. of like at the minute we've got the, the whole debacle over driving tests. Yeah. So I'm, I'm presuming you'll be like me. You've got some students who are, who are probably not far off a test, but are potentially waiting another four or five months who may be pretty stressed and anxious about that. Yeah. Has it come in useful for those in those situations? You know, I've got um, one of my students, one of my pupils, enjoyed the mindfulness on his lesson so much. He then went on to do the eight-week MBSR with me. And uh, the, the last course I ran, his mum came on as well. <laughs> And she just told me how beneficial it has been for him because he was quite a shy, quiet lad. Um, and it's just really given him so much more confidence and confidence in his driving as well. Um, yeah, it's, and I said to him, goodness, I wish I knew what you, I wish I had learned what you learned at your age. He's like 19. Yeah. I wish I could have learned this when I was your age. Um, and I get, I mean, I had one lad get in the car after lockdown I hadn't seen for obviously however many months. And he said, oh, I've, I've still been using the mindfulness. And I said, oh, have you? What, 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 do you, what have you been doing? He said, oh, just, just for myself. He said, I've just been taking a bit of time, you know. I think he'd been struggling with the whole, you know, the exact exams and the whole school situation. Um, he hadn't been using an app or anything. He'd just been taking some time just for himself, you know. And, um, yeah, so they, they do, and they're all really interested. They, I talked to them about it. Um, it really helps with emotional intelligence. Um, for a lot of them, they get really, really stressed out when there's people behind. You know, they get that, they feel like, um, yeah, they feel like they're being rushed, don't they, when there's people right on their yeah. table. So it's really helped. We have a conversation about that. Um, it's just a mindset. It's just, it's just a it's just a, a mindset it's a way of being it's a way of relating to the world and there's good days and bad days I'm not going to say I'm mindful all of the time I'm not you know I'm like anybody else you don't suddenly have a personality transplant 
Um, but you're it just I think it just allows you a bit more choice and just a bit more awareness really as to what's really going on. I'm always drawn to people who are quite open about their I'm gonna use the word flaws. So like when you mentioned there about not being perfect and you said earlier about the example of your students saying it when you get in the car and the times you're forgetting, I find that really endearing because there are people that will listen to these sort of shows and they'll be like, ha, she didn't do it. She's made a mistake, you know, and and oh. I, I would, I would I say I'd imagine that this is a sort of thing you get a lot of negativity around. Have you found much resistance uh, when you've been talking about this or has it all been positive? resistance what from but people in general or well more, I think more from instructors because I would imagine that students are often quite willing just to try anything um yeah it's funny I actually did an interview with a guy called Dave Corrigal and he's done two of my courses he's an ADI in London um really lovely guy and um we did a an, inter- an interview that's gone into I think it's going to go into the DIA training magazine soon um and one of the, that was one of the questions I asked him about um you know I can't remember exactly what the what the question was how I related it but it was is like as you just said um and we talked about when wondering whether it is for some people just not wanting to look not wanting to know something that they don't understand you know it's just I, I don't need to know about that um I'm not I'm not interested it's a bit weirdy beardy it's not me it's not what I do it's a bit there's this preconceived maybe this notion that it's for certain people and I'm not one of them perhaps um but actually when you learn more about mindfulness and you get kind of into it it's actually very very practical um and and it's it is backed by with evidence I mean it's scientific evidence to support this it's not just stuff that a few people are just making up to sort of um for fun it's 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 real and it's it's um yeah, but I, I think maybe for some people there's just suspicion and maybe misunderstanding perhaps around what it is. Um, it's really funny, you know, because a lot of people have... I had one lady, really lovely lady, have some motorway lessons with me combined with mindfulness. And she said to me, she wanted to write me a review. She was raving, you know, how, how wonderful it had been, how much she'd enjoyed it. She wanted to write a review, but she didn't want to put her name. She didn't want anybody to know. And I, I wonder whether there's that as well. People are concerned maybe about how it is how they're perceived. I, I don't know. For, for me, it's such a big part of my life and I'm, I've am i got such a wide circle of not only friends, but, you know, people I've met through this work and people that I admire in this line of work and other mindfulness teachers. I, it, it, for me, it's just completely normal. It's I talk about it and I, you know, it's it's permeates every part of my life so I find it hard to relate to to that in a way I, I've kind of forgotten what it feels like to not know about mindfulness yeah but that's the only thing I can I don't know what do you think what do you think it is um well speaking from personal experience I think I there's a I think I concur with what you said previously it's not always wanting people to know because for me there was always a I I kind of phrase this. I still have now a fear of being noticed and a fear of being picked on, which I realise is odd when I'm currently running free podcasts and putting it out to the world and do Facebook lives and and all that kind of stuff. But there is still a fear of, of being noticed. And if I go out and say I'm a driving instructor, no one's really going to notice that. 
because there are lots of driving instructors. If I go out and say, um, I've been taking, I've been practicing mindfulness, I'm doing meditation and uh, hypnotherapy or whatever it is, all of a sudden that's a bit different. And that opens you up to ridicule because there is. Um, And again, I'm talking specifically about the instructor industry, but there are obviously industries that I'm sure are the same. But I'm sure you're in some of the the Facebook groups. I'll talk about this a lot where you'll post something and you just get some venom and vile coming into it. And a lot of the time, it's not people intending to be cruel. It's people just voicing their opinion, but just not realising they're actually being pretty cruel about it. And I think that's where a lot of it's, well, that's where mine was. And that's really the the biggest thing I've got to, to go with. And there's an embarrassment there, an embarrassment that you're doing some of the isn't what the cool kids do. And, and oddly enough, I worked with a lady who's also going to be on this uh, podcast, um, Shabnam Raja, who deals with mindfulness a lot and meditation. And I did some work with her a while ago. And she once pulled me up on that because I said to her, somewhat along the lines of, uh, I don't play with the big boys. It was like, I'm here in my little corner. The big boys are over there. I don't play with them. It was just the, the term I used. And she, she's like, we're going to speak about that later. And, and we worked on that. And part of me growing as a person was being able to say that. And rather than hiding away, I'll come out and I'll own that now. And I'll say that I've worked with someone to help me. I've worked with a whole host of people. And some of that is around mindfulness. But I'm also not afraid to say of the troubles I've had in the past. And i kind of going off on a slight tangent now in answer to your question. But I think that's a big part of it. It's that embarrassment. It's a fear of being noticed. It's a fear of being different. And that is genuinely one of the biggest things this podcast is about. It's giving people the opportunity to embrace stuff and see that, you know what, if you want to try this thing, there's this really cool person over here called Sam Harper. I'll help you give it a go, you know? Well, it's really interesting that you say all that because when I got into mindfulness and I, I started to practice it, um, I can't remember how long after it was, probably not that long, I let my hair grow out grey. So my, this is my natural colour. Right. Now, for many women, that's just that's not what they want want to do, you know, because it's it's, it's aging. It's not. It probably would look better if I dyed it brown. Perhaps I don't know. But for me, um, a big part of practicing mindfulness has really helped me with that. It has really helped me with self acceptance, and again, this emotional intelligence that whatever I give, if as long as I'm being honest and kind and authentic and truth, you know, truthful. If if I get um, if what I get back is is a, is unkindness or ridicule or whatever I get, I the way I now see it is almost like I'm holding a mirror up to that person, and I I'm just deflecting it back because that's what that's what it is. It's whatever is in that person is coming out is be is manifesting in that. Um, you know, unkind words and behaviour, and it's something that's ingrained deep in them, and it's a- actually got absolutely nothing to do with me yeah. or you. It's got nothing to do with any of us. It's got nothing to do with. It's almost like you know, it's and and that for me has been huge because I've always been a real ruminator. Or do they like me? What do they think about me? Having to fit in exactly all the things you said, 
but it's really strange. I felt like I had a I felt like I had a hole in here before I practiced mindfulness. I felt like there was something missing. There was a hole in here. Like I didn't really know quite how to fill it. It all seemed like I was looking for answers externally, you know, looking for acceptance, looking for other people to make me feel better, maybe. But now I've reached a point where that 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 is full. That hole isn't there anymore. Um and that self-acceptance is very, very liberating. Um, and really, I feel now, no matter what anybody says, whether they do or whether they don't, um, yes, you might get the initial pang of, um, you know, we're all human. It might, the words will hit you. But um, but now I'm able to step back and and see the reality of that, which is, is actually, that's that's about them. That's It's not actually about me or anybody else. Yeah, and that's something I've kind of come to realize as well. When someone else, uh, whether it, I don't know what the right term is, it picks on you or bullies you or shouts at you or says unpleasant things to you, that's them, not you. You know, whether that's because uh, a, a brief example, a couple of days ago, uh, so it's as we're talking now, it's Thursday and all those restrictions lifted on Monday. I think it was Tuesday I went to Tesco's and I had my mask on. And someone just walked past me and tutted and, and went cheap like that. And it's like, I'm literally causing you no problem. And if I'm being completely honest, the biggest reason I'm wearing a mask is just to be nice to the people, the other people that want to wear a mask, you know, to almost, don't worry, you're all right with me, sort of thing. But I've got that person doing that. And I think a year ago, I probably don't go to Tesco's again. <laughs> like, I'd, you know, everything then gets home delivered. But now I've come to accept, like you said, well, that's a bigger reflection on that person than me. I'm like, okay, have a nice day. I'm off to do my shopping. You know, I think we, there's a lady called Brene Brown. Um, so her book, I, I love it. I've read all of her books. But she talks about the story I'm making up. And what that means is the, the story that person's making up is that you're a sheep. But that's a story that they've made up in their head for whatever reason they've had experiences and they've read things or they've learned things or they've spoken to people and they build, they make up a story in their head and then they project that onto you. But once you understand that, you then don't take it so personally because you see that that's a story they're making up. They believe yeah. it's true, but it's just, it's just thoughts. It's not real. They don't know who you are or, or why you, you choose to wear or not wear a mask. Yeah. And I think that works it's both. Quite, it's quite funny, isn't it? When you look at it like that, it actually could be quite amusing. Actually. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just chuckled to myself and walked off, you know, and it's like you're entitled not to wear a mask now legally, so not wear your mask. I'm going to wear mine. Have a nice day. Um, but I think that works both ways as well. And, you know, the story you make up because – why did I hear this example the other day? It might have been an audiobook I listened to somewhere, but you text someone and that person doesn't reply, your automatic assumption is they've, they've fallen out with you. Well, we don't know if they've dropped their phone down the toilet. You know, so it's, we're making up a story there to make ourselves to be the bad person. Yeah. As human beings, what we do, and you see this a lot, is we introvert everything. So no matter what the experience is, no matter what we're seeing, reading experiences, we introvert it. We, we relate it to us. And actually, if you look at it as fact, if you look at it as a factual-based event, this is something that's happening in front of you, and you don't introvert it, 
you actually might notice the response feels completely different, but you see it all, all the time. People yeah. do it all the time. They introvert it. And and then just bringing that right back to sort of the instructor side of things, that, that was a big shift in me in realising, because I've been doing this six years now, and probably the first four, I was delivering driving lessons because I am the instructor. I am delivering driving lessons. These are my lessons. And it was a realisation that, no, no, the students' lessons, they're not mine. These lessons are not to do with me. These lessons are for the students to learn. And I think it's that same same principle. I was, like you said, introvert, and it's towards me. If this person fails a driving test, that's yeah. a reflection on me. Yeah, that's that's it. That's what we. That's what people do. That's what we do. And this goes back to you saying about caring about um, before maybe how you're perceived, um, because we. That's what we do. We introvert it, but it's when you start to notice that you're introverting it and you're making it about you. And actually, it's your experience is your experience, and somebody else's experience is their experience. And whether they like you for what you're doing or don't like you. We have no control over that <laughs> anyway, <laughs> do we? We have no control. So it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, I have days when I'm very, I'm very, very mindful and days when I'm not. And it's, um, it's definitely a journey. It's, there's not like you learn mindfulness and then suddenly miraculously everything in life is wonderful. That's not the case. The, the challenges and the difficulties and the pain is still there. But it's how you relate to it is is different. That's how I found it anyway. Um, the, the kind of last question I want to ask around this, and I'm not sure how to phrase this one, so, so bear with me with this one. But I've got something called uh, Gilbert Syndrome. Um, one of the, it's the worst sounding thing in the world. It's not serious, but it's like, who gets Gilbert Syndrome? It doesn't sound impressive at all, does it? But um, one of the, the, the side effects or symptoms of that is is, is anxiety. And it can build up pretty bad sometimes. And I start to notice the, the triggers for that quite early. And one of the triggers, oddly enough, is another symptom, which is uh, it's jaundice. So I'll get a yellowing of the skin and a yellowing of the eyes. And I'll know on an evening when I'm, you know, brushing my teeth, whatnot, and I'll see my, I'm like, I'm going to struggle tomorrow because I can feel this anxiety creeping in. And you sort of mentioned it before about then you feel that physical manifestation of it. You feel the tightness of the chest or the butterflies in the stomach. So when you first feel the anxiety creeping in, what would you suggest to do then? As I know there's no quick fix as such, but... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's, like I said, with mindfulness, it, it's a journey. There is no, I'll flick the switch and it'll all be fine. But with compassion, I'm now able to give myself compassion. So if I'm struck, if something happens and I'm upset and some, I'm finding something difficult, like I said, mindfulness this is... Mindfulness and compassion are two wings of the same bird. So I notice how I'm feeling. I notice what's going on. But what do I do about it? I give myself compassion and in the various different ways that that could be done to make myself feel better. And that could be anything. That could be, you know, that could be sitting with the breath for a lot of people, just simply sitting and just resting with that. You know, that how that resting with that feeling and awareness, not trying to push it away. It could be for me, I twiddle my hair. This is what I did as a kid. Um, I twiddle like this, and then if rubbing the lower lip, that anything that stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite to the sympathetic nervous system, which is when your fight, flight, freeze, fear response is triggered. So you can find ways to self soothe, basically. Um, 
So, yeah, it, it's it, and this is this is where this journey of discovery um, it works because it, it, like I said, it's not like a quick fix, flicking a switch. It's 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 turning towards turning towards difficulty, and then finding out what works for you. I think one of the things that works for me, and I'm just dropping this uh, tip for anyone that, that's listening, uh, is acceptance. So like I say, I can feel that anxiety when I know it's going to come. I know it's going to kick in. So rather than make it worse by worrying I'm going to be anxious, I'll just go, okay, I'm going to be anxious tomorrow and accept it. And then what it does, it doesn't ruin that evening. I don't lie up in bed worrying about it. And generally, it's then not as bad. So I think sometimes just accepting. So again, we can use a driving test as an example, accepting that you're probably going to be a bit nervous. So don't get nervous about being nervous. Um, and that's one big thing. Think, uh, one of the words, one of the um, phrases that people use is to set out the welcome mat. So you sometimes it's even a case of just sitting and saying, "Oh, hello, anxiety. Hello, my old friend, anxiety. Here you are again. You know, here you are, worry. There you are. How are you, how are you today, worry? You know, and almost befriending that. You know, um, like you just said, accepting. Okay, it's here. This is how it's going to be for me. This is how it is for me right now." But it's not definitely not necessarily going to be like this tomorrow or forever. I've uh, I just wrote that down. I like that phrase. Set out the welcome mat for the anxiety. That's uh, I like that one. Um, okay, so uh, tell me about the Guild of Mindful Driver Trainers. Yeah, so um, I wanted to set up a program that meant that um, driver instructors had undergone the six weeks course so the it wasn't just about them saying to their pupils oh let's do a bit of mindfulness which is you know lovely to, to a degree but I wanted them to for it to be authentic in the sense that they were they'd done it they it was experiential they were experiencing it uh, they were practicing it you know so they could speak from experience basically they could speak from the experience of having done it and and the effects that it had on them um so I, I've set up the course to help instructors uh, with their own challenges related to the job, which we can all relate to around physical pain, um, you know, stress, anxiety, and all that sort of stuff, but also how to then incorporate it into their work, how to help them to support their pupils with test day nerves and just general driving anxiety and um, emotional intelligence and things like that. And then what I've done is I'm set, I've set up um, like an accreditation for this, um, so that the people that do the courses, they then go onto the website um, and people can find them. So hopefully, eventually, pupils will be able to find a mindful driving instructor. Because I really feel this is going to be, the tides are turning. I really think they are. I mean, it's getting more more, more high profile in schools. Uh, the circles that I move in, the mindfulness is is big. It's, you know, it's, it's big business and it's coming more and more into the mainstream. And a lot of the youngsters now that get into the car will have heard of mindfulness and they will have been practicing it in school or elsewhere. Um, and I think for a lot of instructors, I just think, yeah, it, I just think it's not just helpful for them, but I think it's helpful for them to have an understanding about something that their pupils are going to be bringing more and more or going to be looking for, I should say, more and more in the future. So. Yeah, it's just, and I just want to support, want to support ADIs the way that mindfulness has helped me. I want to bring that to them, and 
even after the course, you know, I don't want to feel that people are just left high and dry. And it's like, oh, thanks very much. The course is over. See ya. You know, we're having for free weekly sessions, the, the decompression session on a Tuesday. And that's something I'm just giving to them for free because I, I want to, because they want it. They, they said we, we want to keep going. We, we don't want it to end, you know. We, we're, we're loving it. We don't want it to end. So I said, well, we can do a Tuesday night if you like. Just a short practice. So that's what we've been doing. Um, so I just want to provide something for people for driving. And it just made sense, really, for driving instructors. Um, yeah. I love that name, decompression session. I can't even say it. What decompression session? I love that name. Um, all right. So I really appreciate you coming on today and joining us. Uh, there's a couple of things I'm going to wrap up with that I'm asking everyone at the end of the show. First of all, do you want to leave us with a book recommendation that we can go away and read or listen to? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's loads. One of the most, um, the, the catalyst for me was, I'd say an audio book. I wouldn't necessarily read it because I think it might be quite heavy going to read, but The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle was the real big one for me. Um, for, for Catastrophe Living, um, that's um, John Kabat-Zinn's, isn't it? And there, oh, there's a few. There's... Um, there is <laughs> brains going now. I got it. Um, Finding peace in a frantic world. Mark Williams. That's another one. Um, Brené Brown. Anything by Brené Brown. Yeah, there, there's loads. Yeah, but that's just a couple. If you were to pick one, <laughs> one for people oh, to start don't with. Me, Harry, don't do that to me. Um, I'm making you. You're narrowing it up. I mean. It depends, really. I, I, to be honest with you, I'd say go on to YouTube and type in Brené Brown, that she's done loads of stuff on YouTube. Kristen Neff's done loads of stuff with Compassion. Vidya Marla Birch, she's she's uh, the founder of Breathworks, and she's written a book, Living Well with Pain and Illness, and that's all about using mindfulness and, you know, the, the breath to actually – she's she's was in constant pain, is in constant pain, but – She's found a way to actually live well with pain and illness. Um, there's so many inspiring people out there. Um, oh, Gabor Mate has done a lot of work around trauma, um, trauma-informed therapy. Paul Gilbert, I did a <laughs> compassion-focused therapy course with the Compassionate Mind Foundation a few months ago. That was amazing. Um, oh, I could go on. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, because... I, I find it so interesting. I, I read and listen to stuff all the time. So it's hard to kind of, you know. Improve. Yeah. Um, the I can't pronounce his name, but the uh, Full Catastrophe Living, the, the chap that wrote that, uh, I've recently started that one. It, it's quite heavy going, but it is, it's clicking on me, which is a good thing. Um, yeah, so uh, the last one is... What if you were to leave the instructor industry one tip, one piece of advice to go away with now? What would it be? If I was to leave, sorry, not leave the industry, uh, leave uh, instructors listening to this podcast with oh, one piece I of advice. Think... Oh, yeah, I phrase that badly. <laughs> that's hard. What would my one piece of advice be? Yeah, be kind to yourself. Yeah, leave it. I like that. Need to say no more with that. I like that one. Be kind to yourself. I'm going to take that advice tonight. Okay, so where can people find you and is there anything you would like to promote? 
Yeah, well, um, so it's, the website is Guild MDT, which stands for Guild Mindful Driver Trainers. Um, they can find me there. Uh, the uh, Mindfulness and Compassion for Driver and Rider Trainers is, there's a few spaces left um, by the DIA, in association with the DIA. They've been brilliant to, um, to promote the course and for me to be able to facilitate that via them. Um, I'm also running um eight-week MBSR, which I think some of my instructors are joining me on in September. I've got another website, cotswoldmindfulness.com, which is where I started off. And I do uh, photography, mindful photography as well. So I also shoot um, wedding videos. So um, <laughs> just to sort of make my life even more complicated. <laughs> uh, so apart from Cotswold Mindfulness, I've, on Facebook, I've got, if anybody's interested in photography, I have Cotswold Mindfulness Photography Group. And that's a lovely group. We People just post pictures of nice things they've seen. It just really encourages people to get out and appreciate the world around them. Um, and all that's on Facebook and Instagram as well, Cotswold Mindfulness and Guild of Mindful Driver Trainers. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram as the um, Mindful Driving Instructor. My, it's the underscore mindful underscore driving underscore instructor. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all out there. Excellent. Too, too much on social media. <laughs> Far too much. Well, I think it's fine if you use it in, in uh, moderation. I think uh, I'm peeling back a little bit because I've been getting a bit stuck in it too much. You know that thing where you just scroll and then yeah. keep scrolling and then yeah. you look at your time and it's like four hours have gone. Oh, no. You can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's a dangerous place to go. Um, okay, so all those links will be in the show notes. So people can either go and search for you or go look in the show notes and click to get straight and take straight in there. But... Really appreciate you joining us tonight, Sam. Uh, it's been great having you on. Great you, conversation. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, lovely to see you. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, see you again soon. Hopefully come to a decompression session. I fully intend to. Um, <laughs> they're Tuesday evenings, aren't they? They are Tuesday evenings, yeah. Well, my Tuesday yeah. evening lessons end soon if uh, a certain student passes their test. So you will have me before oh, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come along. You're very welcome. Well, you'll know if my student passes their test or not, whether I turn up to the, oh. the sessions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, thank you for joining me. All right, Terry. All the best. Take care. So big thank you to Sam Harper for joining us there, this first guest, the first episode on season two of the Instructor Podcast. Um, really insightful show, definitely thought-provoking, as always. And right back at the start of the show, before we started recording this episode, uh, Sam did a, a sort of a guided meditation, what we called a grounding with me. Um, we decided to put that on to the end of the show so you guys can listen and you can practice this yourselves. I've done it before, as you've probably heard throughout the show. I've done some meditation before, but it's definitely relaxing. And don't do it if you're driving now. Definitely don't do it if you're driving. But, you know, maybe if you've got a lesson, pull up and just spend the, the two minutes we spend doing it. Just listen, see if you're a little bit calmer afterwards. So, yeah, we're going to head over to that in a minute. But just before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about what's coming up on the show. First of all, bonus features. Now, we're bringing out Patreon. We're bringing out Patreon as a way for you to support the show and help me and for you to get extra from the show. So head over to our Patreon account. You can search for it at the instructor or you can even find it in the show notes. Head over to that and you can just 
sign up and get all exclusive accent where we've got the bonus weekly shows, we've got monthly masterminds, we've got monthly Tez Talks. There's all kinds of stuff over there. Head over and see what we've got to offer. And yeah, just find a nice little way to support the show. But again, thanks for listening today. And we're going to leave you with the guided meditation, the guided grounding from San Harper. I, uh, I am now putty in your hands. Okay, then. So just inviting you then just to find a comfortable and upright position with your eyes closed or just lowered if that feels okay for you. Let's just take a moment then just to notice the feeling of the floor under our feet. Noticing where the legs make contact with the chair. Noticing where the lower back's making contact. And the upper back. Maybe having a sense of gravity holding you in the seat. And as you breathe, just notice the feeling of the air coming in at the nostrils. You might notice the rise of the abdomen. All the way in, all the way out. Maybe have a sense of letting go of any tension that you might be holding on to, perhaps the shoulders or the jaw. Sometimes we hold on to tension in the body without realising it. Just on the out breath, having a sense of letting go of any tension that might be here, if that feels okay for you. And then as you breathe, just noticing the sounds that you can hear inside of the room and outside of the room. Without trying to judge or label anything, just noticing what you can hear. Just coming back into a sense of centeredness, a place of stillness. A couple more gentle breaths. And then whenever you're ready, you can just gently open the eyes. And we can begin. I like that. I um I think I mentioned to you previously that I started off using I think it was Calm, the app was that I used. Um, and that seems similar to what they do and had the same effect. Just like, well, the grounding, I've never heard it called up before, but that seems very apt because that's how it feels. It's a very descriptive word for it. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you you can, for, for me as well, um, and for the people when they get in the car, you can have that feeling of feeling kind of all up in your head. You know, almost like, Somebody used the expression, having no ballast in their boat, which I really liked. You know, that feeling of just feeling a bit, you know, out of, off balance, a bit um, bit top heavy, maybe. Yeah. Scattered, you know, scattered thoughts. Um, so that practice can just be a really good way just to kind of come back to centre, come back to feeling a bit more gathered, 
<laughs> is that how you would do it with your students in the car? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And that's quite, excuse the term, because I don't mean to belittle anything, but that's quite simple. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So is that what would you, not necessarily recommend, but would you in, endorse an instructor doing that similar practice of a student? Well, on the on the course on the mindfulness and compassion for driver and rider trainers, we, we we talk about this and we go over this guiding practice. And there are certain things to consider. Um, it's always an invitation. That's the first thing. Um, and also, we just have to be a bit aware of potential contraindications, and that just means not you know where it's not appropriate because it's not going to be appropriate for everybody for a variety of reasons. Um, but certainly for the most part, and I've not experienced any difficulty personally, um, and for the most part, my pupils all really love it. And and if anything is, they remind me, if I if for any reason I've been in a bit of a hurry and I'm like, right, okay, you know, maybe I just think to just get on with the lesson, they all say, oh, Sandra, we, we, haven't, we, haven't done our, we haven't done our practice. <laughs> and I, I say, well, thank you. Thank you for that. That's, you know, I, that's when I need it, actually. That's when I need it the most. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So the show has finished, but you're still here. That clearly means you're hanging about for the super secret bonus section of the podcast, where Sam has been kind enough to hang about to answer these short, quick-fire questions for me. So I'm going to start off with these, especially with the most important one. Sam, dog or cat? Dog. Good answer. I like it. Uh, what is your favourite book of all time? And you can only say one. Favourite book of all time? Oh, um, I'll say The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Okay, okay. Uh, would you ever consider going vegan? I did go vegan for a bit. And I'm now a pescata- pescatarian. Yeah, cool. I was vegetarian, vegan, vegetarian, and now I'm pescatarian. Awesome. <laughs> we may talk about that later. Um, that's another podcast. Favourite film? Oh, um, I, I really love the film um, uh, Amelie. Is it Amelie the French film with all yeah. these Audrey Tattoo? I just think that's lovely. Cool. What do you call your students? Is it students, pupils, learners, customers? Uh, pupils. Pupils. What is your proudest achievement in life? What's my proudest achievement? I'd say this, actually. This podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've worked, I've worked really hard to get this, uh, to get my qualifications in mindfulness, and I've done two qualifications, and to put the course, you know, to, to, divide, to, to devise a course. Um, and also, I, d- I did a, a devised a course for Hoya Vision Care uh, earlier in the year as well. So this, the work that I've been doing this year, actually. Excellent. I think you're very right to be proud of that. And then the last one, Tell me one goal that you want to achieve. One goal that I want to achieve. Um, I just really like to bring mindfulness into people's awareness a bit more, uh, just to, to make it available, to make it available to the people that need and would like to know more about it. Yeah, just to bring it more into into our work and into our lives brilliant well uh thank you for staying an extra couple of minutes just to answer that yeah i've, I've taken enough of your time up already so yeah. so thank you for hanging about there and uh, some great answers especially the vegan one yeah yeah have you have you, have you tried being vegan uh, i am 
Yeah, about a year. You know, when I said before about making just random decisions off the cuff, like shaving my beard off, um, last year after lockdown, um, I went vegan the day we went back to work, or the day before I went back to work. I literally just woke up and went, I've had enough, I'm going vegan. And how, have it, found, how have you found it? Well, at first it was stupid because I had all the trauma of going back to work and dealing with all these students and I'd lesson for six months. So like the worst possible time to do it, but genuinely easy. Um, I feel better for it. Um, I sleep better for it. Uh, I feel, and this, uh, this isn't meant as a slight on anyone else, but I feel kinder for it. I, you know, like you said before, there's something missing. I feel that there was a bit of me missing and now there isn't. Um, and I genuinely, 99% of the time, don't struggle. Still now and again, because I live with meat eaters. So even tonight, the wife's cooked some gammon and I keep walking in the kitchen and it's like there on a plate and I can smell it and I can see it. And it's like, oh. um, and I just have to do go. You, do you take vitamin B, B12? Uh, I did. I stopped because I wanted to test if it made any difference to anything. It didn't seem to. Because uh, I found I was getting deficient. I, I was getting small gums. Right. So um, that's something I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Um, I mean, it may happen. I only stopped recently, but I was taking a few different vitamins. I forget which ones now, but um, I thought I'm going to stop taking them and see what changes. And, and so far, nothing has. So it's yeah. just a little experiment, see what changes. But but yeah, um, no real problem. I slipped up a couple of times at first. Like I'd go in the kitchen and Jürgen's having a pepperoni pizza. And through habit, I'd steal a piece and buy it. I'm like, oh, no, I can't have this now. Throw it back down. Um, but no, I uh, for me, and, and uh, not for everyone, but for me, it was the right decision at the right time. And it took me 36, 37 years to come to that decision. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um, it's good to just even just experiment and see what works for you, isn't it? Even if it's a bit of a balance, you know? Because like I was vegetarian for a long time, but I lived with a, a complete carnival. My husband's a Kiwi, and he pretty much barbecues every night of the week, even if it's raining. Um, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I've just I find that sort of about midway balance really with mainly vegetarian, but I do eat a little bit of um, fish, and I will occasionally have chicken as long as it's free range organic chicken. I don't just eat any old chicken. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, all about, it's all about the um, the animal husbandry and the humanitarian thing. They really have, have you ever watched? Um, oh God, what's that thing on Netflix? This is what started is it, it for me. Cowspiracy. It was not that one. The one before I've seen Cowspiracy, but the one before that um, as well. Uh, um, I can't think of the others. That one sticks in my head. There was the other one recently, Seaspiracy, as well, wasn't there? But oh, I haven't seen that yet. That's really shocking. I didn't know half of the stuff. Well, probably more than that that I'd seen on that. That was quite scary. But I can't think of the others off the top of my head. What I will say, you mentioned your your, your husband's a Kiwi. Kiwis. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Kiwis are my favourite people. I love I love the the New Zealanders. I love the Maoris, and I can remember once when I travelled over there. She's going back about fifteen years now. Um, I'd gone over to see rugby, and, and uh, I think it was Great Britain, and, and they'd lost, and we come out of the stadium, and I'm walking through Wellington Town Centre, and this bouncer who would look like a stereotypical Maori, you know, tattoos on his face, and just huge, looked like you know, it could swallow me whole. He just copped a sight of me, and I'll by myself. And he started walking towards me 
with this face like, you know, I'm not making out alive. And he got about two foot away from it, and I'm just shaking at this point. And all of a sudden, he just cracked into this massive grin, and he went, good day, and just gave me the world's biggest hug. And then says, "Come in here. We're having a we're having a kebab." And he took me into a kebab shop and made me a kebab. Oh, like, that's nice. That's why I love kiwis. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah, Tom seems to get. It's very popular. It's funny, isn't it? They, they, everyone seems to love kiwis, but no, it, it, yeah. So it's good. On on kebab. that note, I am going to let you go. Yeah, good to see you. Anyway, I'll say cheerio.